Well, over the last few weeks, either through a sermon series or a video such as this, uh, we have brought to your attention once again the seven discoveries our Refocus group has, has found and has brought to the church uh, that helps us to plan out and look at uh, where First Baptist Church of Noonan goes to in the future. And we have talked about mission, vision, leadership, communication, relationships, and growth. Uh, this morning is the seventh of those uh, governance, and I left, or we left, uh, this one is last for a very important reason. And I'm going to take just a couple of minutes and uh, speak about it, and then we'll get into the message today. But I want, you to, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me well, and I want to be very straightforward, and I want to be very blunt. I know that shocks y'all that I would be that way, but uh, I will do that. Listen, listen to me, church. This is the elephant in the room. This is the one issue above all else. If First Baptist Church of Noonan does not address your governance issues, this church will never be what God wants it to be in the future. In fact, I will go so far to say this. It can't be what God wants it to be in the future. I realize there are those who maybe because they've been here for so long, they, they think, hey, what, what we've been doing is fine. Why mess with it? Others probably don't have a clue what I'm even talking about. But I will say to you, the governance issue of your church is the one biggest issue that has got to change if this church is going to be able to move forward in a powerful way in the days to come. Without saying a whole lot about it, let me just say this. As your pulpit search committee has been looking for a new pastor over these last uh, number of months, the one issue above all else, the number one issue above all else is the governance of this church. And many of them have said they would not come here primarily for that one reason. So you have to evaluate it. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to make some changes to bring it into a more biblical model. It is not right this minute as it stands. A more practical model, it is not as it stands right now. A more usable model, it is not as it is right this minute. Now that's just as clear as I can put it to you. That's the one thing that if I, if I had to say one thing to you as a church, I just said it. That's the one thing that you've got to deal with soon. And you can't not deal with it. I hope you hear my heart, but I also know what can change if you deal with this one area alone. So, love me, I hope. Uh, don't throw anything at me this morning unless it's candy. Um, don't hate me. Don't hate the messenger. I hope you'll hear my heart. And believe me, this is the area you got to deal with. All right, I said, I'm done with that. I'm preaching now. All right, let's go. Uh, prayer. We've been series, in a series of, entitled Pray for the last seven weeks. I'm, I'm going to have one more message, I think, after this one. Uh, first five weeks or so, we, we asked and answered a question about what is prayer? How do we pray? I gave you some practical guidelines about praying and such as this. And that's where we have to go to. And um, that's where we must deal with prayer and in motivating us to pray. 
this morning, well, last week, we started the Lord's Prayer, looking at that model prayer that's found in Matthew 6. I want to go back. I want us to read our text again. I want to pick up where I left off last week, and I want us to take a look at what uh, we need to be able to do in our own regards to pray to be able to be effective in our prayer life. So if you'll stand with me, our text this morning is Matthew 6, verses 5 through verse 15. If you'll follow along as I read our text for this morning. Jesus said, but when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Father, thank you for your word. And I just pray that you'll speak it to us afresh and anew. Help us to both hear and understand and help us to be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And the introductory remarks, the introductory verses to this Lord's Prayer, or this model prayer, uh, Jesus told us that we should do three things. I shared this with you last week. We should pray seriously. Again, note that he does not say if you pray. He says when you pray, implying the seriousness of the believer praying to the Father. Secondly, he said not only are you to pray seriously, you're to pray secretly. He says to go into your prayer closets and pray, just you and God. And though, as I shared with you last week, it's not a, he's not prohibiting praying in public. But what he is saying is this, don't, don't be like the hypocrites that just want to put on a show by outward prayer and they never spend any time alone in God in prayer. If you want to get serious about prayer, just get along with God. You and God, just let God speak to you, you speak to God. That's what he's commanding us really here to do. It's what he's encouraging us to do. Pray seriously, pray secretly, pray sincerely, not using meaningless repetition, but praying from the heart. And then Jesus gives us what we call, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really better called the model prayer. In this prayer, he's teaching us how to pray. And there's so much that can be drawn from this prayer. I've taken it, and I think last week I shared, I said I was going to share eight principles with you out of it. I'm going to give you seven. I'm going to give you a key word that kind of gives each principle and talk about it. But this was how the Lord was teaching his disciples how to pray. And there's so much there that we can learn from that helps us in our prayer life. The first principle last week, as far as we got, I gave you one word, the word position. Position. And the truth was this, we have to pray from the position of being a child of God to our Heavenly Father. Here in this verse or this prayer, he begins by saying, Our Father who is in heaven. 
And I shared with you last week, you can't pray that prayer if God's not your father. And while it is true that God is the creator of all, he is not the father of all. Boy, in this politically correct world that we live in today, we've gotten that really confused. We've led a lot of people astray thinking that God, oh, God's father father of everybody. No, he's not. He's creator of everybody. But he only becomes your father when you come into his family. And you come into his family by a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. We're adopted into his family. We're made children of God. And it's only then that you and I have the right, the privilege to call him father. So we begin praying from a position of a proper relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Without that, you and I have no right to pray. Without that, our prayers will never be heard. It's only as we enter through Jesus to the Father that we'll ever be able to have our prayers heard and answered. We have to start there. Our Father, which art in heaven. I'm going to give you three more words, I think, this morning. If See where we go with this. Principle number two. First principle, position principle number two, the word praise. The word praise. Jesus goes on and he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, By saying that, Jesus teaches us to begin our praying with praise. And here we find the importance of prayer and praise together. How they are connected. Praise and prayer. In fact, Jesus says, start your prayer with praise. Praise. Why? Because praise is the key to our entering into the very presence of God. Praise gives God his rightful place in our lives. Praise exalts God as head of all things. And praise reminds us of God's greatness. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 22, verse 3, yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Hebrews 13, 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. Hallowed be thy name or your name. Uh, It's interesting in the Greek language in which the New Testament has been translated, that phrase, hallowed be your name, is a very uh, large phrase. It teaches us much. In fact, in using such a phrase, Jesus reminded us of three very important truths about God for which he must be praised. Number one, hallowed also means holy, H-O-L-Y. It means holy. In other words, when you say hallowed is your name, you are saying holy is your name. And while it is true that God has many attributes and God has many characteristics, his supreme attribute is that of holiness. Uh, Everything God is, he is out of his holiness. It is his holiness that sets God apart. And all that he is, he is within the sphere of his holiness. And Jesus reminds us, as you begin to pray, you praise God that he is a holy God. He is sinless. And 
doesn't even have the capacity of, of sinning as a holy God. He's absolutely perfect and pure without spot and stain. And that's what separates him above all others. That's what sets him apart as God. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And Isaiah, as Isaiah saw the Lord in a vision, saw him high and lifted up on his throne. The Bible says that Isaiah saw the seraphim, the angels of heaven, flying around the throne of God, and they cried out one to one another the following, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, it reminds us afresh and anew that we are coming before a holy God when we pray. But not only does that phrase hallowed means holy, it also can mean separate or different. Separate or different. In other words, God is not like other gods. Our God is unique. He is one of a kind. Psalm 86 verse 8, There is no one like you among the gods, little g, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. You're a hallowed God. Exodus 15 verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? And the answer to that question is no one. Why? Because you're different. You're separate. You're not like all the other gods. He's totally unique He's separate from the gods of this world. He's one of a kind. That's what makes him God. So when you pray, hallowed be your name, it means you're saying to God, God, you're holy. You're above all else. You're different. You're separate from the other gods. But the third meaning, it also implies reverence. It's a word that implies reverence. And when we use this word hallowed in reference to God, it reminds us, listen carefully, it reminds us of the fact that he is almighty God and deserves to be honored as such. Now, folks, this is, this is where we have to guard ourselves, and this is where you have to find a fine balance. While it is true, because we are children of God, we have the privilege to call God our Father, but it is also true that he is a holy God. We have to show him reverence. We have to honor him. He is not the big daddy in the sky. He is not the man upstairs. He is not the big eye in the sky, as some have called him. He is our heavenly father, and he deserves all the reverence that he does as almighty God. So when we pray, hallowed is your name, we are praising God that he is both holy and unique in character. There's nobody like him. William Barclay put it this way in his commentary. When we pray, hallowed is your name, it means enable us to give you the unique place which your name and character desires and demands. John Phillips in his commentary framed it this way, we may use the name Father for God, but there must be no careless familiarity. His is a high and hallowed name, one to be employed with reverence and awe. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Position, praise, 
principle number three this morning. I'll give you the word purpose. Purpose. Uh, you, you see this in the next verse where Jesus said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, um, this phrase, first part of that, your kingdom come, uh, really is kind of a hard verse or a portion of this verse to describe it. It really has multiple meanings and applications. On, on one hand, when you pray your kingdom come, uh, there are some who tell us that you're really praying for salvation. And in other words, it's, it's, it's a prayer for salvation. And the reason they say that is this, God's kingdom can never come to you in your life until you're in God's kingdom. It's a prayer that you get in personally, you get into God's kingdom. You begin being a part of God's kingdom when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's in essence a prayer for salvation. Lord, I want to be in your kingdom. And you'll never be able to pray your kingdom come until you're part of his kingdom. Uh, there are also a sense in which when you pray that, you're praying for the second coming. Did you know that? Hey, I get asked a lot, um, is all that we're seeing happening in Israel right now, is this it? I mean, are we in the last days? Um, to my answer to that question is this, I don't know. Jesus said, no man knows the what? Day or hour. Now, he did say this, you'll know the seasons, but you won't know the exact day, the exact hour. So, I don't know. But I would say this, I hope you got your bags packed. I hope you're looking up. I hope you're paying attention because almost everything that has to happen has already been fulfilled. And when you see all that's happening in Israel right this minute, and particularly with the nations around Israel that are coming up against Israel right now, all of that is lining up with biblical prophecy, and we're right at the brink of Christ coming back, I personally believe. In fact, as old Dr. Havner said, I think I shared this last week, we're, not, we're no longer looking for signs, we're listening for a shout. That's how close we are. So we'll see what happens in these days. But it really, this is a prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. Come back, Lord Jesus. And it's only until he comes back again that his kingdom will have come in the sense of your kingdom come. But most likely when Jesus is teaching us to pray your kingdom come, he was teaching us to pray that we might live out his kingdom here on earth in our everyday lives. In other words, when you pray your kingdom come, since we've come into the kingdom of God through personal faith in Christ, have become children of God, we're praying that we will live as such out there in the world. In other words, Lord, let me live my life out here in such a way that wherever I go, your kingdom comes. People see Jesus. People experience your kingdom. Through my life, through my influence, through what you're doing in my life. Let them see your kingdom come. And by the way, that's the, that's the exhortation of Scripture for those of us who know Christ. That we live our lives in such a way that everywhere we go, we take God's kingdom with us. Everywhere we go, we're to witness of, to God's kingdom. In our very lives, we influence salt, light. We we. Take God's kingdom everywhere we go. 
I love the, I love the verse of Scripture. It's found in Romans 14, 17. Uh, Paul writing, he says this, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Boy, that's when Baptists go, whoa, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, if you want to fill a church in Baptist life, you know how you do it? Feed them. Feed them, they'll come. I mean, people will come eat at church when they haven't been at church in the last year for any other reason. Because some people think the kingdom of God is nothing but eating. Hey, that's not what it is at all. Now, that's not really the context in which Paul was writing, but it certainly is a right application. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's this. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness. Being made right with God. Living right with God. And by the way, if you want to know if you've really experienced the righteousness of God in your life, look at your life and see. Is there a desire in my heart for righteousness? And am I living right? And if you're not, if you don't have a desire to write for righteousness, if it doesn't motivate you to live right, you've got to question whether you ever experienced his righteousness or not. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. Being made right with God, I, I have peace with God because I've been made right with him. And because I've been made right with God, the kingdom of God is knowing the peace of God in my heart and my life. That's the kingdom of God. And it's joy in the Holy Spirit. How you know this if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time. Even in the midst of trial and tribulation, God brings a joy to our hearts that you cannot explain outside of him and his grace. That's his work in our hearts. That's what salvation does. That's what being made right with Christ does. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, God, help me to take that everywhere I go. Can you make that your prayer? Can you make that a part of the way you pray? That's how Jesus was teaching us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. And then he says this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's purpose on earth. The kingdom of God and the will of God go hand in hand. They're inseparable. They just go together. You can't have one without the other. If you have one rightly, you'll have the other. And here we're to pray for both. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven should be the prayer and concern of all of us. Let, let me ask you this morning, and I ask myself this. Can you pray, Lord, let your will be done in my life? You know, we, we, we would see revival in the church if we started praying that as God's children and mean it. Lord, I want your will done in my life. In fact, I ask you this morning, have you ever prayed that prayer? Do you mean it? Do you really want it? Or is it just words? God, above everything else in my life, I want your will in my life. And Lord, let your will be done in my family. Lord, let your will be done in my business. Lord, let your will be done in your church. Lord, let your will be done in this nation. Let your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Being God, he knew what lie before him. He understood what he was about to have to bear, taking the sin of the world upon himself. Being man, he had seen the Roman army crucified many people. He understood that he was about to face a brutal, torturous death on the cross. He goes to what I believe to be one of the most moving places for me in Israel. Anytime we go, there's many places that are special to me. But there is nowhere in Israel that moves me like the Garden of Gethsemane moves me. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he gets away from his disciples to go pray. And he cries out to his heavenly Father. He tells his disciples to pray that they do not enter temptation. And then it says in Luke 22, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then he prayed this, yet not my will, but your will be done. In his human flesh, Lord, Father, if there's any other way. I don't want to suffer like that. But it doesn't matter what I want, Father. Your will to be done. Folks, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. It changes your life when you want God's will above your own. It changes how you live. It changes what you do. It changes what you say. It changes the appetite of your heart. It changes what you seek after. It radically changes you if you don't know the truth about it. But that's how Jesus told us to pray. Position, our Father who is in heaven, praise, hallowed be your name. Purpose, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you pray that way? One, one more principle, one more word, and I'll close this morning. And then we'll pick up the rest of it uh, in a couple of weeks. Here's, here's principle number four, the word petition. Petition. Jesus said... Once you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you can pray, give us this day our daily bread. Hey folks, what a great truth it is to know that God wants to meet the needs of his children, his people. And Jesus is telling us here that we can go to the Lord and take our needs to him. What a privilege it is to bring our needs to our heavenly father. And time and time again. God makes us promises that we can ask and receive. Matthew 7, 7 to 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds to him who knocks. It will be opened to him. Hey, in the literal Greek language, it explodes in meaning. It means much more than how we've translated it into our English. It literally ought to read this way. Keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you shall find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking will find. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. Ask. John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. James 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. 
Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Luke 11, verses 11 to 13. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son, his son, for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? ask. Hey folks, let me remind you of something real important here. In fact, this is, let me make three observations to you from that one last part of that prayer and I'll close up. And this is really important you get this. Number one, there is a condition that must be met in our asking and his answering. And that condition is we have to ask in the context of God's will. Now remember, before Jesus tells us in this prayer to ask, he tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's only when you and I, as his children, are praying for God's will to be done, and we're praying within the context of God's will, that God's obligated to answer that prayer. First uh, John 5, 14 and 15 puts it this way. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked from him. The parameter around that is the will of God. And it's only as we pray, your will be done, that we can ask anything and expect an answer from God. That's the condition that must be met. D.O. Moody once said this, spread out your petition before God and then say, thy will, not mine, be done. The sweetest lesson I have learned in God's school of prayer is to let the Lord choose for me. But he's right, he's exactly right. Somebody else framed it this way, nothing, well, this is good, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. when I've learned to seek God's kingdom I've learned to submit myself to his kingdom and I'm praying within his will God is going to provide whatever it is that I need that's the first observation second observation I think this teaches us that God's interested in our smallest details of life and living Jesus said pray for your daily bread isn't that a pretty simple request isn't that a pretty basic request and if God is concerned with bread in my life, why would we ever think he would not be concerned about the larger issues of life? Time and time again, the Lord teaches us to bring all of our burdens before him. There is nothing too little for God. There is nothing too big for God. If God is concerned about my daily bread, I assure you he is concerned about all aspects of my life and living. And here's my last observation, and I, and I will close on this. I've said that three times, I believe, this morning. But I'm, it's not 12 yet, but I'm, I'm about through. This, this one might surprise you. This is an interesting observation. And here it is. This is a morning prayer. Now, let me, let me say that again. This is a morning prayer. And the Lord is teaching us, I believe, at least in part, 
the best time to pray is in the morning. Now, I know and you know that God is a 24-7 God. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. You can come to him in prayer at any time of the day. And he's there to hear and he is there to answer. But I do believe with all my heart that there are better times to pray than others. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching. This is a morning prayer. Now, I know what some, some of y'all look at me like. I can read your face. You know, where in the world do you get that from, preacher? Can I show you? This is a morning prayer. If you're going to pray, give us this day our daily bread. When would you pray that? After you've had your daily bread? After you've eaten three meals a day? Hello? When would you pray this? Would you not pray it before you had your daily bread? Isn't this a morning prayer? I think it is. And there's some real important reasons why the Lord was teaching his disciples to pray early. Number one, praying early in the morning is taught all throughout scriptures. Again, it's not the only time to pray. It's not. I don't, I'm not trying to say that. But I am trying to tell you this morning that if you really want to dig your, dig your fellowship with God deep, and if you really want to expand your prayer life, learn the discipline of praying early in the morning. I love Psalm 63, 1. King James Version translates this way, Oh God, you are my God, I shall seek thee early. Psalm 5, verse 3, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Psalm 88, verse 13, but I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. And one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible about the life of the Lord Jesus is found in Mark 1, 35. And it says this of Jesus, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and there he was praying and by the way the night before that he'd been up way late at night ministering in Capernaum Jesus was teaching us to pray in the morning secondly praying early in the morning helps us start our day off with the right attitude when I get up in the morning I'm able to call out to the Lord it sets my heart my mind in its right place it starts me out with the right attitude for what I'm going to face that day. Norman Grubb once described it like this, morning prayer. Good morning, Lord. God, I love you. What are you up to today? I want to be a part of it. Your will be done. Lord, let me know what you're doing so I can join you. That's a morning prayer. Um, here's the difference Spending time with God in the morning makes in your life. If you get up and spend time in prayer, instead of getting up and saying, good Lord, it's morning. You get up and you start, good morning, Lord. What a difference. The attitude of the heart can be made. Praying early in the morning gives God first place in my life. It gives him the proper place in my life. I start my day off with God. I give him the first part 
Hey, if you want to do something interesting, study, study how many times the Bible teaches us about the first things in life. We're to give God from the first of our produce, not what we've got left over. And if you, you want to honor God with your giving, don't, don't give God money if you have some left over at the end of all you pay out. You give God first. That's what honors him. We're to worship on the first day of the week. We start our week off on this side of the cross now by worshiping God on the first day of the week. We're to give God first place in our lives. A lot of people have never gotten past that point. And same thing about prayer. When I get up in the morning and I spend time with God early, it's putting him in his proper place in my life. And here's the last reason I'm through. Praying early in the morning keeps me from neglecting my prayer life. You might not be like me, but if I don't get up and spend time in the morning praying to the Lord, the chances of me doing it as the day goes on get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. I either get so busy I forget, or I get to the end of my day and it's time to pray and I'm so tired I can't keep my eyes open to be able to pray. And if I do pray, it's half-hearted because my heart's not really in it. But if I start off my day in prayer, it keeps me from neglecting God being first. This is a morning prayer. Position. Our Father who is in heaven. Praise. Hallowed be your name. Purpose. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, just the uh, the admonition that you gave as you were teaching your disciples some 2,000 years ago how to pray. Lord, how we too as your disciples in this 21st century need to learn from you how to better our prayer life as we walk with you day in and day out. Thank you that we are your children because of Christ and because of that we can call you Father. We can pray our Father which art in heaven. And Lord, I pray this morning if there's somebody here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, they don't really know you as Father. May today they see their need for a Savior. May today you work in their heart to draw them to yourself. May today they become a child of God so that they too can call upon you in prayer and be heard. Lord, help us to praise you better. Lord, it's interesting to me that you start this prayer out with praise and you end it with praise. Help us to give you proper praise for who you are. Lord, help us live our lives according to your purpose. And then, Lord, thank you that you hear our every need. Hey, if you're here this morning, your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And it's never been a time in your life that you put personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a better time, better place than right here, right now. And just as the one who came through the waters of baptism today shared with us their profession of faith, maybe today God's brought you here for such a time to meet him personally, become his child, to be given the promise of eternal life, the promise of heaven one day with him. In just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn of commitment. If you're here today and you need to give your heart and your life to Christ, just as soon as we begin to sing, would you do this? I want to be standing down front as we're singing. If God has spoken to your heart, would you just step out from where you'll be standing, make your way down front, take me by the hand, and all you need to say is something like this, Pastor Ken, I, I, need, to give, I need to come to Christ today. I want Jesus in my heart. 
That's all you need to say. We'll have one of our staff members take you to the back for a few moments in private, share with you from God's Word what it means to be a Christian and how to call upon the name of the Lord today to be saved. And if you need to be saved, don't walk out of this room today without giving your life to Jesus. The Lord's brought you here for a time such as this. He's knocking on your heart's door right now. Don't turn away from him. Don't harden your heart. Don't ignore that still small voice. Come and give your heart to Jesus today. As soon as we begin to sing, you come. And then Christian, if you're here today and God's put any other commitment on your heart, any other decision, you come as the Lord leads. Father, we commit this time of invitation to you. And we'll thank you even now for working in our hearts and our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name.